All right, we're loaded up today. I got Myrtle in 10. I'm going to talk about trash talk with Matthew Barnaby in about an hour uh, after Brad Marchand put one on. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. And then Canada's number one soccer fan, you know that he was going to address the nation upon, I don't, I don't know if it's the re-signing, the doubling down, the confirming, whatever we're calling John Herdman, saying that he's he's staying doing the Wolf of Wall Street thing. He's staying until at least 2026. He wants to see, he wants to see the boys through. Um, so I got a whole bunch on the agenda today, but I need to start with bitching about the Raptors because I, I can't get enough of this right now. Um, great loss last night. They hang around all game and they lose and whatever. Um, I want the losses to pile up. I've said it on record over and over and over again. You don't want to be in the middle. You want to be at the bottom. This team ain't it. And they're beyond clearly not it. And you even see this reflected now where everybody knows that there's like toxic positivity, right? You know what that is? Where it's just, it's over the top. It's disconnected from reality. It's this idea that anything that is critical is negative, and anything, everything positive is awesome. And there's so much of that on Raptors Twitter. And there has been for years, and for the most part, whatever. Um, it's been okay because Raptors, the Raptors have been awesome. They've been an incredible watch. They've been incredibly run, well-coached, likable players, all these different things. Right now, that is not it. But last night was a particular stick in my craw, as I like to say. Because the kid that killed the Raptors, Walker Kessler, 17 points, 14 boards, count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 blocks, 7, 7 blocks. He whooped that Raptors ass last night. Meanwhile, Thad Young and Christian Coloco, 4 points combined, 0 blocks, 2 rebounds. In a combined 23 minutes. Really nice piece of work. Why is that uh, a thing that we should be discussing? Oh, only because the Raptors traded back last year. Only because the Raptors decided, you know what we need? We need Thad Young to come in here because we have so little depth that we're going to trade a first-round pick. And everybody in Raptors Nation got up in arms. They went, JD, it's it's not trading a first-round pick, okay? It's trading back in the draft. It's trading back a few picks. No big deal. Well, the deal turned out to be that Walker Kessler went two picks after the Raptors could have. And normally with draft stuff, I go, well, easy to say that. Easy to say that because anybody could have drafted that guy. For those of you that don't know, Walker Kessler, the seven-footer on the Utah Jazz last night, who looks awesome. <laughs> and this was not just like one flash game against a Raptors team that has been susceptible to good center play this year. This guy's been a stud all year. There's already conversations that he's better than Rudy Gay. Uh, or sorry, Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, he was picked at 22. The Raptors had the 20th pick. They would have likely taken him. Why? Because they desperately needed a center, and they took Christian Coloco 13 picks later. Anyway, it's just that this just speaks to what I've been saying for quite some time right now. 
is that the Raptors have been pretty poorly run for the last couple of years. It has not been great. A lot of the moves have been pretty suspect. There have been some pretty big misses, and the Scotty Barnes hit has papered over quite a few uh, not-so-great things. And yeah, I would say trading for Thad Young, veteran leadership, and then having him basically have zero impact, not be able to really play consistently for a Raptors team that has no bench, and then have your team chemistry be among the bottom in the NBA right now when that was kind of supposed to be what he was. Yeah, it's probably not very good, especially considering they extended him too to make the problem even worse. So yeah, that wasn't a trade down in a way that was, oh, it's fine. They didn't move back a couple of picks and it didn't hurt them. And they got their guy. They got a huge project in Christian Coloco and maybe he turns out to be good. But yeah, um, had they just stayed at 20, not moved back, used that contract properly, the Goran Dragic contract, in any kind of better way, uh, maybe they're looking at Walker Kessler in the middle of their lineup right now instead of Christian Coloco, who again um, was able to stay on the floor last night for a hearty nine minutes. Why? Because Walker Kessler ate him alive. Anyway, huge, huge, huge pressure on this front office to crush it. One good thing is that apparently, according to Chris Haynes and Mark Stein, a couple of the game's biggest insiders, quote, this is from the two of them having a conversation. Quote, Memphis doesn't want New Orleans to get OG, and New Orleans doesn't want Memphis to get OG. End quote. For those of you following along, that makes it seem pretty clear that OG Ananobi, his price is going up, up, up between those two teams. And and frankly, if there were if there were like five, six teams in the NBA that you would want having a bidding war over OG Ananobi right now, those two teams would be on the list. Frankly, for me, I would much rather get a package back from New Orleans because I'd be hoping that you could get a Lakers pick. It would be pretty wild. It would be pretty, it would be quite something, quite something if the Pelicans decided to include the pick for this year's draft. That feels like the number one chip. Like we can go through and discuss all the different fringe players, the Zaire Williams, the Dyson Daniels, the the guys that you want to get back, the depth pieces, right? The lottery ticket, what you have nows from each of those teams. But ultimately, the hammer is wielded by the New Orleans Pelicans if they decide to put one of those picks in there. And then the Raptors have two bullets, two lottery ticket bullets to try and get Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama. That changes the math. So, I don't know if it gets that far. I would think that that is just, that that could end up being one hell of a move for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, and that would restore a lot of faith if they were able to knock one out of the park like that in this OG trade, getting back multiple firsts, and then I don't want to dream too crazy because we did this before with Kyle Lowry, but I don't know if it's a bidding war. I'm not sure why it would be outside the realm of expectation that New Orleans, given that, they don't have a, like an overabundance of cool young players that you would want thrown in the deal. I'm not sure that they want to add Herb Jones, but maybe they do. That'd be nice for the Raps, another defensive guy coming in here. Although it seems pretty clear, you know, team defense 
like we're going to be the defensive team maybe has changed these guys' outlook a little touch. But, yeah, either way. Um, poof. That's what you like to read today. You hate reading – you hate hearing J.D. say the Raptors maybe could have gotten – their center already in the draft at pick 20 and you don't trade back for Thad Young because duh um but hey at least there's a bidding war for OG and Anobi and it, and it does feel like if you've got those two teams that are that hot for this guy and and now it seems pretty clear that the guy who's taking shots and warm up OG and Anobi and has his wrist wrapped up and his coach is saying yeah it's pretty weird we already ruled him out for the entire West Coast road trip it's kind of a long one it seems pretty clear he's getting traded. I would actually, at this point, be completely shocked, blown away, whatever um, superlative you want to use if OG Ananobi was not traded at this point. It seems like a done deal. Um, okay, so I'm talking a little trash. I'm talking a little trash. Brad Marchand, come on. You, you got to love the guy. You got to. You absolutely got to. I don't know. Okay, there's just – there's some players that you have to appreciate, and – to me, he's one of them. And I'll admit that I used to have no love for Marchand. When he was licking people's faces, there was just nothing. I hated him. The Bruins, obviously, knocking out the Leafs in multiple playoff runs. I don't root for Brad Marchand. But yesterday, he went on an absolute tear. He went through Toronto and went at Mitch Marner. He went at Bunting. He went at all of the star forwards of the Maple Leafs who took a lot of money. He took down Steve Dangle. Rest in peace, Steve. Love you, buddy. But, yeah, Marshan, woof. He, he slaughtered everyone. He came into town. Let's start with the clip of Brad Marshan talking about, yeah, Mitch Marner and uh, Michael Bunting and who talks trash on the Maple Leafs. Uh, I really haven't had a whole lot of chatter with, uh, with Bunting. Um, there's not really many guys that like to get into it. Mitch is out there talking about video games and his dog and <laughs> <laughs> those terrible new skates that he's got out. But, uh, yeah, other than that, um, it's not a whole lot of guys that like to get into it. Okay, he's, so he goes on in that clip to talk about how Mitch is his favorite player. And I, I saw a lot of Leafs fans on Twitter going, look, he's respecting Mitch Marner. And I was like, okay. And then he kind of actually does do a little bit where he talks about respecting his game, but this is just all-time beauty. This is all-time This is all-time stuff from Marshan. Even later in the clip, he goes on to talk about trash talkers and guys being afraid to get on the mic and who he likes the most in the league and how you have to be creative now. And that's why I just have a deeper appreciation for this player. I talk a lot about how NHLers don't like to show enough personality and how we need more of this in the game. We need guys who care, where hockey is first. We need guys who are going to be willing to put themselves out there. And yeah, not everyone's as accomplished as Brad Marchand, right? Like he can he can do this because he has the hardware to back it up. He has the success to back it up. He's done the things. And and that's kind of all sports culture, right? Like, or that's more hockey than it is, right? Like I John Morant. Is John about how he doesn't respect the West, and now he goes seven and eight against the West, and he's getting memed, and so some people are afraid of that smoke. In the NHL, though, guys are terrified. Guys would never say what John Morant said. No, nobody would. Not one soul on the like. Not one soul on skates goes out there and puts themselves in that position. But Brad Marchand's not afraid of it. He'll he'll just wear it happily. He does not care, and I love that. And I just want NHLers to look at this dude and say, "Boy." 
This guy's got a ton of success, plays the game not all the right way. He does some ratty things. I think we can all agree on that. But plays the game hard, plays it in a way that you got to respect him, and then puts himself out there, and he has something to say, and he's creative about it. Uh, James Myrtle, senior editor at The Athletic, joins me now. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Brad Marsha and Lovin. I wasn't expecting that coming on the show. Well, come on. Like, how do you not? Like, this is what I've been <laughs> advocating for, for players for forever. It's just be yourself. Have a little personality. And I don't mean personality as in you wore a fedora to the game. Like, I'm I'm tired of pretending like rich guys wearing fancy clothes is personality. That is. Well, I, that was personality, what he put on display yesterday. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, how many guys around the league come into your building and, and you – the, the fan base has like a visceral reaction to them. And, the, you know, there's kind of like the villain, like there's just, it feels like there aren't very many left in the league, which is, which is too bad. And, and Brad Marchand's such a good player too, is that he, the thing with him is he backs it up in the big games again and again and again. Like he's, he's been a, use a cliche, but he's been a thorn in leaf side for so long now for, you know, for a decade. And, um, you know, all the respect to him for that. I mean, I I don't know about going after the kid that was in the media scrum asking about one of his tweets or whatever like that. That's too far for me, but I'm with you that it's nice to see someone show some personality. Yeah, I think that that one is you're on a little bit of a roll, and that is what we call in basketball a heat check where <laughs> you try – you try and go and take a, a shot that you probably shouldn't, and that was the one for him. But, yeah, he goes after the Leafs for taking too much money. And this is – also, I thought that that was kind of interesting as David Pasternak is doing his contract negotiations. Well, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do, and, I mean, the, you like think the that timing... was more about the Leafs or more about Pasta? No, no, I think that he said that about the Leafs in the past. That, that's a dig at the Leafs and saying, oh, you know, the reason these guys don't win is they just take all the money and they don't care like we do. And it's, yeah. you know, the, the timing on the Marshawn contract, like I, he he must wish that, that that landed a little bit differently for him, right? Like, I mean, he's been underpaid basically his whole career. So, and, and, you know, and I know, I mean, look at look at what Charlie McAvoy signed for there. It's not like he took a big haircut. I mean, he's making nine something, and he's a he's a great defenseman. He's one of the best defensemen in the league. But you know, the guys are getting paid there. This this idea that they don't make money, and you know, people point to Krejci. I mean, Krejci's contract is like all bonuses, and if they're at the cap, it's all going to roll over to next year and be a problem. So, you know, and Krejci's what thirty six years old and wasn't even in the league last year. So, I mean. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good example of a guy taking a haircut, but they have a great culture there. And like, I mean, you can't argue with, with the season they're having this year. So I will say this about the McAvoy contract is they signed it for what? I think it's seven years, eight years. It's a long contract, right? Yeah. 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 And he's what? 24, 25. Like he's yep. young. He's shockingly yep. young. And they also signed this deal when they knew the league was going to be back, going back up on the upswing when it comes to. It's not, I'm not saying yeah. it's a bad contract. It's not, but it's not like he's. It's not like he's way under the the number where he should have come in. No, I don't think he's way under the number, but I I do think that is one of them where in years, let's say two or three of the contract or three four of the contract, that that's going to be like the Nylander deal where we go, holy crap, look how look how good this is in hindsight. Like that that is one where it doesn't look like, hey, he was up against it, he probably could have gotten maybe a little bit more. And yeah, cap going up is really gonna help that one. Either way, you're right. Um there was a lot of bounces 
that went Boston's way with those guys, yeah, taking the contracts that they did, him and Pasternak having breakout seasons after they signed their deals. But hey, you still did it. Like, you still have those contracts. And part of that, where they do get credit, is Bergeron at the time had his contract and all those guys kind of fell in line with it. Mm -hmm. Like, that matters. That that kind of matters to me. That counts a little bit, that they had the hierarchy. And if we go back in time and criticize the Leafs about, hey, the order in which the contracts were signed, which now feels like we've litigated it so many times, it's kind of boring <laughs> to bring up. I just like that he did it because now you and I are even chatting about it for a second, right? He knew exactly what he was doing. He played these cards perfectly. Like going into the All-Star break, he set the narrative. And so this is the question I have for you today about Marchand that I was sitting there and thinking about last night. After Connor McDavid, because it's just unbelievably clear that he's the league's most important player, who do you think is the second most important player in the NHL today? Oh, boy. Um, Like, I was thinking it's either Sid or Ovechkin, maybe, but there's a case for Marchand. Yeah, I mean, it should be someone like Kale McCarr or like one of like the next generation guys, right? But it's not. Come on. Don't don't you dare. Like I've had – you know how many Kale McCarr conversations I've had this year? Zero. (laughs) Come on. No, it's not Kale. I mean, Ovechkin with the record chase is probably going to be the right answer, right? But I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we're getting into the – the TV rating stuff, but I mean, you said the other day you you said you wanted to talk about it. I mean, it's just – Part of the problem for the league has been for a long time is that there aren't a lot of faces for the league. I mean, the, the league probably really needs like a McDavid in New York or something like that, right? Like they need they need like some real star power that resonates on a bigger level, and they haven't had that for quite a while now. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the TV rating stuff. I think that this is kind of tying into what I'm saying. Um, the stars of the league are Connor McDavid, who – he markets himself because there's nobody like him. Like, and there never has been. And he is just a, a one-of-one hockey player that you don't have to... Like, I always say this about any sport. Like, you don't have to be a hockey fan to understand Connor McDavid. It's why I love watching Alfonso Davies for Canada is that you could just turn on a Canada mm-hmm. soccer game. You could turn on a Bayern Munich game and you could watch him play and you could just understand how he's special immediately. And and I think that that's an easy draw for anybody. Like, look at this person doing these freakish things and stand out amongst the other pros. Like, it's in, insane how easy Connor McDavid look, makes it look at times. Ovechkin, you mentioned, he has the goals, he has the track record, but the league also marketed itself around Sid versus Ovi for, you know, what, the last 15 years? I don't even know how long those guys have been in the NHL now. I don't, I don't want to know because oh, it's six. longer than that, right? Right? Yeah. Like it's it's more than 15 years, which makes me feel 17, 17 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that hurts me. OK, so those guys, they've done a good job with. Um, after that, it's like who there's like some little bit of the league's really trying to push Trevor Zegers because I think he has a bit of a personality. He's got a little bit of that Marchand. Um, I don't know what he said, and I don't really want to get into that because who knows? I like who knows? But the league clearly likes him, and they, they know that he's got a little bit of that. There's nobody else that really wants to put themselves out there. Marshan does, and he's on. He's in that big market in Boston, a place that cares. He's on the number one team. He's gotten into it where, like, multiple fan bases hate his guts, and they see him come to town, and they root against him. Like, he's a hated villain in Vancouver. He's a hated villain in Toronto. He's a hated villain all throughout, like, the division. I, I would say that he's up there. And to me, it's like that is a template for a lot of the good players in the league, is that they should be looking at this and saying, we want 
people to feel something about us. And Brad Marchand, you said it. He comes to town and people feel something. And the league needs that. And and I don't know how that changes from the marketing department. I don't know if that's something that you can force because when you do try to force those things, they're usually pretty cringy. But that's that's the thing the league needs to unlock is is highlighting the guys who have that different level of care and highlighting the guys who are unafraid and and not pulling back from it because yeah I just if there's a case that he to me is one of the five most important players in the NHL um yeah I I think that that highlights maybe issue number one as we talk about these ratings what you're talking about is kind of like personality. And if, if we had to put together a ranking of the top five or the top 10 personalities on like a, a big national scale in the league, it would be hard to do. I mean, you're struggling to do it right now, right? Like in the past, it would be, we'd have PK Subban in there. And, but it's funny that, you know, you look at, at who goes on and succeeds on TV and, you know, it's like the biz nasty and, you know, it's kind of like the, the role player guys are the ones that stand out and, I don't know how the like you said you can't really manufacture it right like and it's been it's not a brand new problem either you know it's been a lot of times it's been ascribed to the fact that you know get the get these Canadian players that don't really want to stand out that that you know it's all about the there's no I in team and all that kind of stuff and you know a lot of it it just talks about I was saying this to the other the other day when we were texting it's just like it like there's a lot of nights where it's just it's boring and it's just boring and it's not just on the personalities of the players it's just you know there's 14 teams that have no chance of doing anything this year and there's eight teams that don't want to win any more games and want to get Connor Bedard it's there's a lot of games that don't mean anything every night completely agree and so let's get into this so this was a tweet that went around yeah i think most people have seen it but i'll read it anyways um the nhl u.s tv national viewership is down 22 percent this season per findings from uh, a guy named austin carp nhl regular season games to date have averaged 300,073 viewers on espn and tnt which is the second season of the league's seven-year pack with Disney and Turner, the NHL averaged 478,000 viewers at this point last season. So, like, that's a pretty precipitous decline. That's not, oh, whoops, like, that's a little bit of tiny... No, 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 that's a massive, massive, massive number. That is a huge deal. Um, you guys wrote at The Athletic, and it's been pointed out by many, many people, that the, the New Deal has been pretty cataclysmic. I actually had really no idea that the blackouts were that bad because normally here, right, when people complain about blackouts, it's that they're like, you know, a Leafs fan in Ottawa, and they complain about it. And I go, yeah, all right, there's ways around this, but you're right, it, it sucks. It's, it's not fun to have to do that. But here it's like pretty straightforward. I didn't realize it was as bad as it was in the state, so I'm going to chalk that up to like the primary reason. Because hearing from people in my DMs and talking to friends in the States, like, it's kind of a nightmare a finding mess. these games. My it's a only mess. pushback, yeah. yeah, my only pushback is that to me, hockey is a very regional sport, very much like baseball. And, and so my, my understanding of like people wanting to watch the national games, which we're talking about here for a lot of these, is like, kind of minuscule. I, I don't even know a lot of people in Canada who want to watch the national game unless, it, again, it involves Connor McDavid, right? Like, nobody's staying up to watch Canucks Flames. Like, that's not a that's not a thing here in Toronto anymore. Um, but yeah, let's, let's start with the personality thing. And yeah, I think it goes beyond just hey, these guys don't want to show who they are and it's the I in team. Like, you, you've definitely touched on that. 
Um, that's a real thing. But it's something else that actually you texted to me that I hadn't really thought about too much, which is roster turnover and having your bottom six guys because you said it. Um, Paul Bissonnette didn't have like the longest of careers. It wasn't illustrious, you know. Um, Ryan Whitney was uh, a really good player for a while, but then it, it changed a bit. Like you even look at some of the guys that, you know, we have on television here, uh, the comp- other networks have, right? Like it's these guys who found their ways to be great in the room and the stories of these players that were veterans and used to go on to different teams and you needed your bottom six guys to be full of you know the good character players the guys who were vets and who knew the league and now we like guys are aging out way earlier you don't get to kind of be the the Rafi Torres right in Edmonton's room who famously everybody loves it just that fewer of those guys exist Look at the conversation around Wayne Simmons right now. Like most fans do not want him in the lineup. He's one of the most beloved guys like base, like in that dressing room and around the league. It's just harder to stay in there. And there's just more guys that are around the fringes who get judged a lot of times on a chart and less and less for, you know, what they do to a room or what they do to the intangibles. And so now those guys don't really want to stand out either because that's not the way that they're going to get measured. And, and I think us losing those players slowly but surely like that that is actually having a a pretty big impact on the personalities around the league well i think it's harder for the more casual fan to follow the league now too as a whole you know maybe they can follow their team but it's it's kind of like a a roster blender every year like look how many guys in the league i bet you the percentage of players on one-year contracts in the nhl is at like an all-time high like there's just there's not a lot of continuity you know, like the the stars get their deal and they stay. But even if you go back three years, look how much different the Leafs roster is. You see these stats all the time. It's like, you know, four years ago, the last time the Leafs played the Bruins in a playoff series, like how many guys are still on the team? It's a really, really low number. And that's happening across the league. And so that when there's no continuity other than a couple of players, it's it can be difficult, I think, to, to – like – Think back, you know, in the 90s, there would always be kind of role players that identified with certain teams. You know, here in Toronto, it was, you know, like Taidomi is the obvious example. You know, a guy who's like plays down the lineup, but he's just there and he's just part of kind of the fabric of the team. And he's a fan favorite. I, I think, you know, Gino Ojek in Vancouver is another example. It, it's not all enforcers, but those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. And And guys like that just bounce around the league. And like you said, they're not in the league as long as they used to be because it can be really hard to stick once you hit. 29, 30 years old. So, you know, and I, I think some of it is, and I'm an analytics guy and I believe in all this stuff, but I think some of it's data driven. You know, they're measuring the players more closely than ever before. I know the analytics people talk about that the peak performance for uh, an NHL player is 25, 26 years old. Um, and I, and the salary cap's another factor is you come into the league on an entry level deal. You, it doesn't require waivers to shuttle you up and down. More and more of those guys in entry-level deals are coming in at, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old and pushing out the old guard. And it's very much like musical chairs, and it seems like it moves faster every year. I completely agree, man. And that's what I'm saying is this is an issue. And I actually got pushback. Like when I tweeted about this, I said bottom of the roster turnover. Well, I got pushback to every single issue that uh, I I put out there. But to me... Like so many of those guys, like the Ty Domies of the world, they they were fan favorites. And this market should be very, very aware of this because this was kind of a running joke for a very long time is that Leaf fans care more about the bottom six 
that you know it's this it it weirdly is a fan base that loves the blue collar player right that's always been a thing here like yeah. constantly why do you think that it's so easy for people to just immediately gravitate towards like how many shows and hours have been done about Bobby McMahon like he comes in he's got some size Dryden Hunt those two guys they come in they've got some size they hit somebody people automatically get immediately excited but you're right who are they guys who can be shuttled well Bobby especially like a guy who can doesn't have to clear waivers up and down no big deal kind of fits in the bottom six can do that for a couple of games but you don't need to stay attached to. And then you remember, like, okay, how many guys have been on the bottom six of the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, right? Like, how many players have come in here? How are you ever supposed to identify with one of them? All right, so the guys that stay are the ones that are normally measured on the charts and have no personality. You think one person has been drawn to the NHL or has really identified with Camp or with, with Pierre Engvall, like with Alex Kerfoot? You think that those guys are like really keeping fans that any of them are? No, they're all relatively the same guy. And, and I actually think that this part of it matters a lot. And that gets to the hard cap, which to me is the biggest issue with the entire league because it solves a lot of these problems, right? Like if you don't have a hard cap, you probably don't have to be doing all these waiver shuttling and all these different crazy things. But we can't put that genie back in the bottle. Like every single person I talk to goes, no, the owners fought for that. They're never going to change it. But I do wonder if this league, if they continue to see declines like this, or if they, you know, and it doesn't change, uh, like they've already lost these viewers, then maybe they do. Maybe they do try to reevaluate certain stuff and get creative because, yeah, I, I just think there's been nothing worse for hockey than the hard cap. Well, I think, you know, to, to support a 30 or 32 team league, they they felt like they didn't have a choice because they had so many teams that were underwater, right? Like, I mean, that was really what it was all about mm-hmm. was they were going to have to fold up shop in five to eight markets as opposed to expand more, which is what they were able to do when they put the cap in. So, I, I mean, I, there's, a, there's things we haven't even talked about yet, like the playoff format is a problem, the tanking is a problem, um the lack of, of rivalries, the the schedule is a problem. Like there's way too many games. And I, I think the one thing that where the cap probably hurts the most is you don't have these, these, these powerhouse teams get dismantled really quickly. Like look at Colorado. I mean, I know it's been, there's been injuries and everything, but look at all the pieces that they lost. They win a championship. They have a dream season last year. Loser starting goalie, lose Nazem Kadri. You got to fill in around the edges with with cheaper pieces, and you know, and of, of course they don't have their prospect pool coming because they, you know, they've been building towards that moment where they win. And you know, Tampa's really been the anomaly where they've been good for so long. I, I guess you could make the case for Boston too, but I don't know. I mean, and now in the NHL, a dynasty is if you win two, so that feels like a problem too because not only does do I think you know, in markets, you have problems identifying with some of the players on the roster, but you have identifying, you know, the teams around the league that are the marquee teams. 100%, man. This is what I've been saying all along, is that the the league, if you look at why they don't have the rivalries, it's because they've prioritized markets that do not matter over markets that do. And then we keep having these conversations, which I find so infuriating, where people go, well, the cap will go up more if the Leafs make a deep run. And you're like, okay, so then let the Leafs be a better team because more people care here. You just said it at the beginning of this interview. You went, what the league needs is uh, McDavid in New York. It's like, okay, but you can't really design that. So 
let New York spend more money, let New York have advantages against some of these other markets. I, I just don't know how at some point they don't look at this and go, yeah, you know, you want continuity, you want rivalries between places. I think there are still going to be players that enjoy the lifestyle of being down south, like the guys that enjoy being in California. You let those teams build up and spend when they're relevant, when they have those years. Like, this has worked for other leagues, and I know that the NHL was different. You mentioned it, all those teams that were underwater, but holy hell, like, it is just... They tried to manufacture the rivalries with this horrible playoff format, and now they're stuck. Yeah. And they go, well, we tried to prioritize rivalries, but this hasn't really worked, and we've tried to do it over and over and over again, and we're hoping that eventually it's going to kind of break through and result in, well, I don't know, some kind of payoff, but it just hasn't been working, and it feels like every lever the league has pulled has like backfired on them. I, I can't think of one thing that they've done that I've gone, wow, that was really innovative, and that was really good, and that's really helped the game. The funny, they've gone for like a, a super parody, basically, is what they've tried to do. And, and you know, there's an economic driver of that in that having parody means that a lot more teams and fans feel like they're in it and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, maybe not this year. It feels like tons of teams are out of it. But, you know, I think, and that comes back to the hyper-local nature of a lot of the viewership and, and, and the fandom of the teams. Like, if you were a fan of the league as a whole on a national perspective, then it doesn't necessarily matter if you have extreme parity. But if you only care about your team, the fact that they're going to be in it or at least look like they're in it more frequently, that matters. That matters in terms of getting people to buy tickets. It's still, it, being such a gate revenue driven league, it drives a lot of that. Oof. I, I've never, I, I love the game. I love hockey. It's created so many relationships in my life. Um, it's been a constant ever since I was a child. But to me, this is the worst the game's ever been. Like, I, I've never enjoyed it less than I do right now. And that's with, like, a talented Leafs team and, um, yeah, a playoffs that are looming where there's, like, a ton of pressure on them. There's actually some narratives in the local market. But I, I just see, uh, yeah, a... a a league that's too long. The parody is not like a fun parody. Um, it's a, yeah, like a lot of nights you're watching this. Don't you feel as though it's just guys going through the motions to, to get through a game? Like how many games do you watch that are like that right now? I feel like the passion has lowered amongst some of the players. And I have a lot of different reasons for that. Like just, again, the the robotic nature, um, the lack of the, the diminishing physical play, that there is less fighting. Um, like I, I know how it felt watching Wayne Simmons last night fight and it was fun and people got up for it and the game, the energy level changed in the game in that. Like I know how it feels when a guy like Bunting is barking at the officials and doing his thing and people have an opinion on it and that's fun. There's way less of that kind of stuff in the game now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the professionalization of the sport from a young age now where like the type of player that gets in is basically being turned into like a hockey robot even younger. Um, has like PR um, when they're like 16 now, 15 now. Um, there's a bunch of different reasons for it. It's not super accessible, but yeah, I just, I, I don't know how a lot of these things get better. Like, I don't know how, like I keep looking for what can you change? And, and that's where I'm completely at a loss. I, I don't know how any of this changes, James. Well, I think there's some things you can change. I mean, I, the league should be worried about the apathy in this market. Like the Leafs are one of the best teams in the league and mm -hmm. the last 30 odd games of the season mean, don't mean anything. 
Yeah. Like if you're a fan, what? Do you, why are you getting? I talk. I talk to Leafs fans all the time. I got friends in the city. I, I didn't grow up here, but just like, I feel like I'm pretty plugged in with the the zeitgeist of how Leafs fans are feeling, and they just don't really care that much. And part of that is the losing in the playoffs, but part of it is like. You get Tampa again. You, 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 the format is terrible. It is terrible. And there's been a lot of years over the last six or seven years since the Leafs have been good where the second half of their season has just not meant a whole lot. And it, it, that happens again and again and again. And there are so many games. They're playing 3.1, 3.2 games a week for months before the playoffs start. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And it's funny, you know, you talk about rivalries. I actually, you know, the Leafs' biggest rivals outside of the, you know, the obvious ones, Boston obviously is there, but like some of their biggest rivals are Edmonton, Vancouver. Like those are some of the games, Winnipeg, those are some of the games where the heat gets turned up. And and I like that we saw some of that during that bubble year. If there were fans in the building, I think the, the climate around those games would have been completely different, you know? So I think that... I don't. The league needs to tap into that more. There needs to be. I think that there's got to be. I would realign in a way that the Canadian teams play each other more frequently. Hmm. That's kind of an interesting idea. I, I would say this is like <clears throat> the. It's tough to do when you play that many games to ask guys to do that travel schedule, right? Yeah. Um, they're they're going to fight that because again, everything is broken down into sports science and a number, and it's overanalyzed, and it's just it's really hard to do it, but. I think that the major reason for that, what what would have been so special about those, and what is so special about those games against Winnipeg and uh, against Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, is that they don't happen at all. Like they they're so infrequent that all those Leaf fans pile into the building, and then it's like you know the energy of those games. I that was my entire university career was going to the Sens, and I grew up out west, and I've been to many Oilers games against the Leafs, and. That, that energy that is in the building of like a half and half fan base, like that's the closest thing hockey gets to like soccer yeah. or those games you know, are fantastic. A real fun environment. They're fantastic yeah. to go to. Yeah. Yeah. They're the best. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that changes if you play more times, but no, it's, I guess it still happens at the Bell Center when the teams are relevant. It's always a fun night. Yeah, actually, even when they're not relevant, I've gone to so many games where the Leafs have been trash and you go to Montreal and it's still like a crazy event. Same thing with Ottawa when people actually go to the building. So maybe that is, maybe a realignment is something that they can consider. It's just, boy. Um, yeah. Now you're kind of grasping at straws and you're trying to make people travel more. Okay. So yeah. Is there anything else that we've missed in this? I, I will say the gambling thing, uh, because I've gotten criticized for it and people keep bringing it up and they go, there's too much gambling coverage. There's too much gambling coverage. Maybe it's because I'm too immersed in gambling and have been for a very long time. I've just never really understood this angle of it, considering like fantasy football has been around for my entire life, yeah. essentially. And, and not, like, is this just this audience getting used to it? Like, yeah. I don't know. What is it? Well, it's just it, it's in your face a lot more than it's ever been before. Like, it's it's yeah. on the broadcast. It's being talked about by the personalities. It's 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 just a lot more aggressive than it's ever been before. And I think. You know, I think the reality is is that it's not really in the mainstream. Like, what what percentage of the average hockey fan would would be placing bets regularly? You know, I don't, right? It's got to be. It's probably a pretty low number. Like, I mean, you're you're an outlier. Like, you, you know, you're. I know you're you're a sports junkie. Like, this your your entire life revolves around 
you know, following the lines for, you know, and not just hockey, but everything. But that's not, that's not the casual fan. And I think for someone, I always think of like the, the I often think of my, my dad as like kind of the casual fan watching on TV. And for him, it's like, what's going on? Why, like, why is this all over the screen now? And why is everyone talking about it? And they're, they're confused. And, and that's not what they're looking for in their broadcast. So I think there's a, there's some truth to that, but I also think that like for a lot of these leagues to thrive, survive, do all this, the gambling injection is very real. And and I would just say, point to this, this was from Adam Seaborn. Um, he tweeted this on January 26th. Um, since sports betting opened in Ontario on April 4th, there's been almost $22 billion in total wagers. And again, there, I've talked to some people in the gambling industry about this tweet, and they've said that a lot of this is also attributed to online casino. So this isn't just pure sports betting um, by most people's account. But yeah, um, $886 million in gaming revenue, um, and that there are 910,000 active players, which is not, like, again, you're right, it is the minority um, but that's still like, yeah, $167 on average spent per person, well, each of those 900,000 per month. Like it, it's a growing market and so many places that we're seeing in sports are shrinking. I've just, it, you're right. It is in your face. It is in your face, but I would be like, so is fast food. Like, so is alcohol. Like there are so many things that are just like right there and, and you don't hear people complain. So I just kind of feel like this is a bit of an adjustment period. And even when it comes to like the broadcast, it's like, okay, well, like put on, like what's the thing that you're kind of clamoring to see or hear that you're missing? I've just, maybe I'm like a little bit, you're right. I'm a sports junkie. I don't see these things the same way. I just go like, if there's a gambling segment that's two minutes long that I'm not interested in, I just kind of, I'm looking at my phone anyways and then waiting for the game to start. Like, it's not like they're putting live odds over the, the game as it's happening in the middle of it and going, bet now, bet now. Like, to me, it just, it's never felt nearly as much of a problem. But again, I'm immersed in it, so maybe I'm the worst person to ask. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think it's an adjustment period. I think it's an adjustment period for everyone in terms of, like, how does it get presented and where does it live and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's going to settle into... I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's even talk about there being more regulation involved in it and things like that. But, uh-huh. you know... It, I don't know. I mean, it's you, you talk about like you say you're not interested and you're not going to look at the broadcast. Like, isn't that a problem? Isn't that part of the problem of what we're talking about? Like, if you just keep stacking all these things that work against being interested in the product, that's a problem. Like, if the players aren't interesting and the playoff format means the game doesn't matter, and 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 on and on and on and on, it's just a lot of things working against the product and that that aren't will- there for the betterment of the entertainment value of it. Yeah, I will say this. I do think that when it comes to the gambling stuff, um, you don't have enough of the... Like, it, it's very hollow, and it does feel really over-corporatized at times. And, like, even for me, like, as someone who creates gambling content and who likes it, I always am very much in the camp of, like, hey, you have to do this responsibly, and, like, you should be absolutely playing within your limits. And, like, for me, it's always been fun, and it's been, like, something that I have had going back to, you know, going to do pro lines with my grandpa at the mall and helping him make the picks, like, <laughs> um, for, you know, a few dollars. Like, it's never been massive money for me. I think that a lot of just like the Twitter stuff of people showing off like these bet slips of like these mattress Mac people and actual wealthy guys that are spending tons of money have like conflated what the average person wants to spend like as somebody who deals with a lot of people through interaction that gamble it's like most of the slips are between like people bet as low as like two bucks you know a couple of dollars five bucks twenty bucks 
maybe up to a hundred, but like I, I rarely have ever seen bets that are like even more than two fifty come in from people. Either way, um, I think that some of the content is like needs to be better around it. And this is probably where someday we're going to get into alt streaming. If you're going to want more of that content, maybe they do push some of that into different places. Okay, so before you go, um, it, no, is there anything else? Sorry, is there anything else I missed? Because I cut you off to do my own rant about gambling. Did I miss anything? No, it's all good. Yeah, I don't know. Do we want to talk about Leafs Bruins or are we? <laughs> yes, that's that's it. I just I have this question about Leafs Bruins. Was there anything that you feel like you actually learned from that game? That's a great question. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's hard not to overreact to a game like that because it means so much more than the other games that they've been playing. I mean, the things... Correct. Uh, I mean, I would say concern level for Samsonov maybe goes a little bit higher. He's been so good this year, but it just makes you think like, well, I don't know. Like, this guy hasn't really done it before in the NHL. So, you know, you, you love the way he's played the first 20, 25 games, but... You know, if the goaltending turns on them, it's a real concern. Obviously, the Sandy and Logren thing. And the other thing, too, is that they missed Austin Matthews big time. Like, if they don't have – they have so much invested in their, their top four and their core guys. If they are missing one of them, they're not going to be able to beat a team like Boston. Um, I'm throwing out most of the result because of the Matthews thing. You're right. He's just so incredibly important. And, like, you just notice how much they've missed him recently. The Samsonov one, kind of. To me, there's like nothing Samsonov can do positively or negatively that isn't going to have Leaf fans on edge come first yeah. game of the postseason, right? Like, yeah. Like, there's nothing. He's he's not proven enough of a commodity. Like, I think had Matt Murray strung together a season like Samsonov looks like he's starting to have, people would have gone, oh boy, the guy has the pedigree. He's been a big game player. Like, there would have been some sort of added faith. Um, I think you even saw that with how quick people leapt to believing in Matt Murray when he started to play well. But with Samsonov, I just I don't think they're ever going to get there, even though I'd really, like, again, he deserves a ton of credit for the way he's playing. But uh, Luke Fox tweeted it yesterday. He went, why are there no Samsonov chants in the arena like there were for <laughs> Soupy and for Freddie is the way he tweeted it. And I went, because they, they, they've seen it before. Like They know what happened with Freddie Anderson. They know what happened with Jack Gamble. They don't want to see that happen again. They don't want to get invested, especially in a guy that's only here as what could end up being a mercenary. But to me, it's the Sandine Lilligren thing. And more specifically, Sandine. I, I just thought the entire night, it, he he had no time. He had no space. He looked nervous. He looked overwhelmed. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know how, I, I don't even know how you could see that one game and think he's going to be a part of the playoff roster, which sounds incredibly harsh, but that that put the fear of God in me with that player. Like, uh, Well, that can't be the pairing, right? Like, you, like no. that, that can't be the pairing. And the, the one thing the Bruins are so good at, and they've been so good at for a long time, is they just—they're really good at finding teams' weaknesses and exploiting them. But when the when the Leafs went into the playoffs, and their right side D was was uh, Polak and and Hainsey, and I, I can't remember who the third name was. Was it like a Mike Koska or something like that? When that when that was their their D, the Bruins were targeting that side of the ice, and they were targeting when those players were on the ice. And you could see the results, you know. And I remember the penalty kills that they had in some of those series, and they had oh, those yeah. guys on the ice. And the Bruins power play just ran like the the, the special teams. The least penalty kill, you know, was was firing at like in the 60 percentile in, in some of those series. It was a huge factor in them losing those series. And so Boston's just an incredibly well coached team with a lot of smart players 
They're very well organized. Sheldon Keefe said it after the game last night, is that they kind of wait for you to make a mistake and then they make you pay. And that's the way they've been for over a decade now, going back to when they won the Cup. And the Leafs are not not as, as opportunistic as Boston like that. They're not as well organized. They do tend to make more mistakes. And that's that's the thing that can kill you in a playoff series because it comes down to one or two plays. So it's, you know, and it, the scary thing to think about too, you know, their whole season comes down to, like, forget playing Tampa in the first round, which is, you know, feels like a, it's a given right now. Like, their season isn't about just beat, winning the first round. Their season goes through Boston. So everything they do needs to be targeted. At. We need to be able to beat Boston in the playoff series. And I think that's why I think there's been a lot of talk about adding a defenseman. It, it's so interesting because in the fan base, there's this huge debate over whether do they need a forward, do they need a defenseman. I think the actual answer is they probably need both. both. Yeah. But 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 and and so there's people in the fan base, especially among the analytically inclined, that are saying, why do they need a defenseman? Look how well the defense has played. Look how many games. But but they're beating they're beating the teams that they can beat with anybody back there. You know, this season is really about beating Tampa and Boston. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, the teams that come after that. And I think that they're going to need, they're going to need help up front and on the back end to beat those teams in the playoffs. I completely agree. It's why I don't see something like people go, well, they should get Timo Meyer. I'm like, it just as good as he, of a player he is of like, of course you'd love to have Timo Meyer. Um, the assets that you have to use to get a guy like that, and then the rest of the shakeout to your roster, it just doesn't have... I don't know if I should say it doesn't have the same impact, but I kind of do feel this way, that, yeah, they're probably better off with somebody who can play third-line center, like maybe replace Pontus, um, and provide a little bit more stability, a little bit more of the known... Um, maybe just a bigger winger who can fly and who has a little bit of a mean streak. And then, yeah, that defenseman. And I just, with Sandine, that I don't even think it's an issue of, like, you can't have both. I think it's an issue of, like, hey, when you're looking at how you're going to win with this team, eventually you're probably going to have to pick between the two of these guys. And I feel like there's no way that you could try to move Lilligren because um, he's just shown so much more this season. And that maybe the the big trade piece you use is the guy that isn't going to end up being playing or isn't going to be back there anyways, which is Sandine and like that, those two things end up correlating. Well, I mean, and especially with, you know, some of the defensemen that they're, that are rumored that they're looking at McCabe, Gavrikov, yeah. uh, Gavrikov doesn't have term, but he would be a guy, obviously that if they're giving up assets for, they're going to try and resign. There, there are players that potentially slot in on left defense yeah. in the future. McCabe's got two more years on his deal. So, you know, the Leafs are looking at that. You've already got Riley. Then you're going to bring in someone else. You've got Giordano for at least one more year after this. I mean, you're, you're, you've got a lot there on the left side. So, you know, that could – and that, I think that that's – you're right. Lilgren has outplayed Sandine and has developed more than he has. But that left side, right side is a big piece of it too. Absolutely it is. Uh, James – Sorry, I went so long on the first thing, and maybe some people are like, well, "There should have been more Leafs Bruins." I think we hit Leafs Bruins, though. I don't know what else there is to say about it. Well, they can always they can always listen to Leafs talk if they want to hear more about the game. Absolutely, they can. Uh, James Wardle, senior editor at the Athletic. Thanks for coming on, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, JD. See you, pal. Uh, quick break. Let's come back. And yes, some of you hate it, apparently, but I still love it.
I have a pick that I adore tonight in the NBA. Quick break, come back, and then, yeah, an hour full of Matthew Barnaby and James Sharman. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. So, again, I'm going to get more into the NFL betting lines next week. I do think that they've settled in, though, because it's, it's plus 105 for the Chiefs now. It got up to, I think, plus 110. And... Yeah, I think that this is what we're just going to get. It's going to be basically a pick 'em um small favorite for the Eagles. Like I I don't know what would change that at this point other than like uh injury, right? Like Travis Kelsey's back freezes up. So I th- I just think we're at the point now where if you're if if you already bought this line at the Eagles plus money or at the Chiefs like high, better odds, like you're kind of set. I think you can wait on it. Props all next week, though. Um, I got a best bet for tonight, and it's in the NBA. Um, I also bought this line a little bit earlier. I bought it at four and a half, but I'm still going to back it at five and a half. Uh, I like the Memphis, or sorry, I hate the Memphis Grizzlies tonight. I like the Cleveland Cavaliers at home. Um, Cavs at home this season have been absolute uh, wrecking balls. They're 21 and six there. They just lost their last game at home, I think, too. So, I don't know. I, my dumb brain always goes, oh, they're going to bounce back. But they're facing a Grizzlies team that's 11-15 and 15 on the road playing on a back-to-back and missing Steven Adams, who, um, if you follow the NBA at all, is probably pretty important against a team with two seven-footers. Uh, yeah, I just – I think this is a bad matchup for the Grizzlies. I think the Cavs probably just – thump them in this one. This doesn't feel like a very close game to me. I mentioned the John Morant thing earlier with Myrtle about how he put himself out there. Grizzlies have been struggling lately. They lost 7-8 against the West. A lot of travel. This one on a back-to-back. It feels like a scheduled loss. It feels like, you know, you could end up buying this and then maybe the Grizz don't even play everybody. Maybe this is a rest day. Either way, uh, I like the Cavs minus 5.5 uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. That was Time for Action, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. 19-plus Ontario only. Please play responsibly. What makes the best trash talkers? Let's ask somebody who would know. Matthew Barnaby, next. Matthew Barnaby, 15 years in the NHL, author of Unfiltered, a guy who knows some things about trash talk. Um, he's on the line right now. Um... Barney, you know, last time you came on, uh, our technical producer, Austin Mackey, was like really loving you, you know, talking about how big a fan he was and how much he loved, you know, his dad loves you. And he asked me what kind of music to play you in with. And I said, oh, Barney loves country. And he's like, no, I refuse. So shows how much he really, truly loves you. You know, like I, I love with action. He loves with just words. Yeah, yeah. He made me feel old last time, and now he brings my intro music into what I expect is going to be at my funeral. Like, that was yeah, awful that's... intro. <laughs> Bring some country, man. So... Like, that was just, I... like, I'm not going to lie. I love Austin's probably a great guy, but he's probably looking for a he's new not... job after that intro. Honestly, uh, he, this is the thing. He can't, he can't, he's got nowhere else to go. You know, like he's already burned all his bridges everywhere else. Right. Like this is the last place. That's why it's kind of shocking that he would take such a hard line stance against country music. How's it going, buddy? We good. I'm good. I'm good. My man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I like, here's, here's why I'm doing well. 
I actually watched a hockey game that was fun and I cared about last night, which is not something that I've been used to for a lot of the season. Like a lot of the season has been Leafs against terrible teams, like less physical play, guys who don't hate each other, guys who just seem like they're going through the motions. And last night, Brad Marchand comes into town and he just like puts a flamethrower to the market. And I loved it, right? I went, boy, this is some of the personality that the league used to have. This is a guy that's so important. He's not afraid to say it. He's got the, you know, the awards to back it up. So many things that make him unique, but I still... I loved every second of it. And so, yeah, I wanted to just kind of bring you on today and shoot it about what makes great trash talkers and guys losing the league. I have one theory for you, though, too, which is about the mics. Um, he mentioned that players are afraid to talk trash in the same way, that the refs will get in there because they don't want anybody to get in trouble. And I went, that's because probably a lot of, like, you now have to be a really creative trash talker for you to do it. Like, you can't, if you're just swearing and you're just swearing at somebody, then the refs are probably going to step in now and be like, that's enough, you know, like no more of this. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely a different landscape than when I played. Everything was onside when, when I played right or wrong. It's just what everyone did. Listen, there was things that were said to, to me and we, we can go back even a few nights ago. I, we don't know what was said really in the in the zegris uh stetcher uh, conversation so you know obviously he yeah. went wild but yes i agree like when people ask me what i miss about the game you know playoffs is number one and personalities is is number two you know you you hated philadelphia when they came in we hated the toronto maple leafs when they came to buffalo vice versa when buffalo came to toronto the the hatred was real it wasn't it wasn't a made-up thing. Uh, I would have loved to play in the era with Twitter coming into cities, uh, riling up fans. Uh, that, that, it, it's fun. And I think that's what makes the NBA fun is they, they really have personalities and, and they aren't afraid to show it. I think we talk about hockey players all the time, that they're classy and they're, they always say the right things, and they do. But you know what else it is? It's boring. It, it, it's boring. And a guy like Brad Marchand comes on, and he authentically is himself. And I think a lot of it, you know, he gets himself up. He gets himself ready for a game. And some of the reasons why I trash, trash talked was to get myself into the game, to get, to get everyone. We're going into Philadelphia on a Tuesday night or Toronto. You know, if I'm running my mouth, well, the other guys better know, they better be ready to go too because the guys are coming. It's, it's, it's going to be a war out there. And I think that, you know, there, there isn't that hatred uh, anymore in the National Hockey League. And, you know, you get a guy like Brad Marchand who's very good at it and, and going to your point about the mics, you you have to be smart about what you say now. You have to, you know, do your research. And I think what makes a good trash talker is a guy that, you know, can be – you have to be quick because guys are going to come back at you with whatever you say. They're going to try to hurt your feelings, whatever it may be. And you just have to be quick-witted and you have to be smart and you have to uh, do some research. And, and I think that, that, that that's really important. But, you know, just swearing or doing stuff like that um, – really isn't isn't going to take it to the next level either yeah it, it's tough to uh talk it's like hey all the guys got to be smart it's like i already want to trash talk against all the players being like well you guys are hooped like <laughs> like you're out yeah. everybody's yeah. out there's no there's no moving fastest no you're right research is good being quick is good i still think like again yeah creativity is what is the best for me and sometimes it's just like the plain and obvious still to this day 
one of my favorite things that I ever saw was, well, I, I know Sean Thornton was a master at it. I used to laugh a lot at his old clips on there, but there's a clip from just like a 24-7. I can't remember who says it, but it's Drew Miller because he used to dye his hair. And someone just yells at Drew Miller, like, go dye your hair. And I laughed. I was like, I don't know why that's funny, but it is, right? Like, it doesn't need to be did, offensive, did he, did clearly. Did he dye his hair or his hair was – yeah, did, did he dye his hair or his hair was just like super gray at like 22 years old? <laughs> I, I think he had both. the grayest hair young. A, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's one of the two. It's a combination of the two. But again, great. Just a great, stupid line, but funny and quick, right? Like, go dye your hair. I love it. It just, like, still cracks me up to this day. Um, <laughs> the uh, I can't remember what league it is, but that video of Chelios. I know someone's going to tell me about it right now in the comments. But, yeah, when Chelios goes down to that other league, plays in it and the, and the guys on him about like going and using the tanning bed and <laughs> just letting the other let, young let, guys let play. play like that's let great <laughs> yes let the, let the kids play yeah jesus chelios <laughs> the tanning bed it's it's like that stuff to me is so great and i do wish that there was a little bit more of that or a little bit more of that flair a little bit more of that uh being embraced by the game and like yeah you don't want to have it where it's like mic'd up purely but catching the odd little piece of it i think is great um I just I don't know how they bring that back. I think, unfortunately, like a lot of it might just be gone. Yeah, and I I think that you know the social media world, the mics, like you said, everything is is such under a microscope that guys are are petrified uh, to be caught saying anything that might be a little bit offside. Listen, two of my favorite lines are are are, are nothing that were ever going to get me into trouble. I remember Kenny Johnson; he was a young kid, and he had poor the poor kid was like 18 years old, first round pick by the Islanders, and he comes by our bench and he just dangled someone out and he had like a smirk on his face. And I was like, "Hey, Kenny, in in North America, we eat the pizza, we don't sleep in it." And just because his face was full of craters and it was super red, and it was one of my favorite lines I ever had. It wasn't, you know, it's not offside. It's not. It's not like I. I carved him anything just 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 his, his his face, and it was one of my favorite things. And our guys just looked and and you know carving guys about you know having a girlfriend um, on the road. I, I knew a guy that played for Philadelphia. We're playing in the playoffs, and I was like, "Hey, dude, I don't know if your wife's going to appreciate when I tell her about your 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 girlfriend that you have in Montreal." And it was true. Now I was never going to say anything, but I just wanted him <laughs> thinking about that the rest of the game and worrying about what might happen after the game. So those kind of things do go on, all, all of them. You just have to be very careful. And like you said, you have to be creative. And, and the things that are that are true are the ones that hurt the most. Yeah, uh, all-time terrible bucket, Kenny Johnson. Like, just not, not, yeah, a, it was a, not tough a great look. look. No, not a great look all around. Early visor guy, too. Who Who do you think was the best? Like, who do you think was the most creative with it? Uh, I've only got caught once, and I said this in my book. I've only been stung once, and it was Chris Simon. And I said something about his family and about him and, and, and his upbringing and whatever it may be. It was offside. And all he did was look at me and said, how's your dad? And I, yeah. for people that don't know out there, I never knew my dad. I never met my dad. So, like... I'm not going to lie. That was like a mic drop. We were in the box. And I'm like, <laughs> mother, you know what? I call my agent because we have the same agent. I'm like, hey, dude, did you tell him about that? I never knew my dad. He was like, no. He was like, man, he got me good. That was yeah. that was really good. And it's not like, like Chris Simon. I can't go out and beat the crap out of him. 
he's tougher than me. So he yeah. wins on, on, on both ends. And, you know, uh, Brad Marchand is the, the ultimate test because he's going to be the one to say something. You're going to be the one to take a penalty on him. And opposite of me, he's going back on the power play. He's going to be the one to score on the power play if you take a, a, a two-minute for slashing or whatever you do. He's the one that's going to stick the dagger right in your heart. That, that's the ultimate test. I, I ran my mouth a lot. And, you know, sometimes I got to score the goal, but not many times was that guy going on the power play was for McGillney or Forsberg and Sackick and Lindros, whatever it may be. Uh, but Steve Ott was very good. He had a great nothing. He was willing to say absolutely anything, and he, and he was quick. And when I went to Dallas uh, and my last year, it was his first year, you know, I was kind of brought in to kind of help him along. But, wow, he had a wicked mouth. Uh, great dude, uh, good player. But, uh, yeah, he was pretty damn good. See, I love that. And and like I said, research, great. Because research, just about anybody could do if they're going to do it. It's weird, though, now that I'm thinking about it, just the fact that you don't have to pay the price the same way for trash talk, you would think that some guys would want to do it more just to get the edge. And and even you talked about the Zegers thing. I don't know. Nobody knows what he says other than the guys that are involved because they won't, like, actually put it out there. I, I don't know what Zegers yeah. – if I'm Zegris, I actually kind of come out and say what I said because the, yeah, the thing about uh, Stetcher's dad, if that was the case, like that's too far. It almost yeah. feels like they set the bar so high that whatever he says is like, hey, actually that's not so bad. But I would hate to lose him as like the cocky because the the thing he's got going for him right now, and nobody cares because he plays in Anaheim at ten thirty at night on a the worst team in hockey that can't win in regulation. But the thing he has going for him is like he's the young, cocky, cool California kid who doesn't seem to be afraid to take a shot at somebody. And and I really think the league needs that kid to eventually be a somebody. Yeah, it, it, it's awesome that personality. He's on he's on the cover yeah. of I, I don't play video games, but. Um, you don't play you video know, games? The, the, shocking. What a no, shock. I don't watch what a shocking I, I revelation like for our entire audience that is just blown away right now. Make that the clip today. Yeah, I don't play video games. I never have. Yeah. I understand it. it it's, it's probably very cool and time-consuming. Uh, but I also don't watch cool. wrestling as your... an adult. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, right. I, I, can you imagine some people, like, over the age of 12 watch wrestling? And some people actually yeah. take pictures on Twitter and yeah. Instagram without shirts on. Yeah. yeah that's it's, just, hey, buddy, yeah. I'm sorry that I have friends that want to spend time together and do activities. Like, you know, it's just, it's, I know that's not a thing that comes easy to you, but for me, it's something that exists. It's fun. If you, yeah, but, if you just took off your like cool guy, look for just like a five, if you dropped it for like five minutes, you'd have so much fun at that Royal Rumble party. Also, it's like, it's more yeah. of a gambling party than it is a wrestling party. But yeah, anyways. Uh, Wait, are you gambling? Are you gambling on wrestling? You you take – so what we do every year is you get the Royal Rumble, so there's 30 guys that come out, and then we do a lottery for the numbers and then an auction okay. for the remaining numbers. And if the number that you pick or buy is the number of the wrestler, like his number when he comes down the ramp, you win the pool. Okay. <laughs> All yeah. right. So it's like betting on cockroaches uh, racing. Yeah, it's uh, but way better. <laughs> It's, it's wrestling, but way better because the spectacle. Yeah, I've it. never, I, I, I've never, I've never understood adults watching wrestling. But you're, you know what? I, I used to have a lot of respect for you, and I, I'm going back yeah. like even at ten, ten oh one. But yeah, no, <laughs> watching wrestling is 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 it, it just it blows me away. You know, Dude, you know it's, it's, awesome. it's like it, you know it's it's staged, right? I just I, I don't no. want to. I feel like I'm telling you that there's no Santa Claus right now. 
buddy, you the, the, you don't know what those guys put their bodies through. All right, like that's real. <laughs> like maybe some of the stories are embellished, but what those guys put their bodies through, the effort that it takes to become a WWE superstar, like you can't fake that. You can't just fake your hey, way into the WWE. Hey, honestly, the last wrestler I well, I remember The Rock. I remember yeah. Hulk Hogan, who uh, actually my son plays in Orlando. He, one of his teammates is married to Hulk Hogan's daughter, which is. I, I guess pretty cool. One of his teammates. Um, yeah, one of his teammates is married uh, to he uh, Steve Alexiak. He, yeah, Brooke Hogan. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember Hulk Hogan. I remember uh, the British Bulldogs. I remember. Oh, I remember Randy sure. Macho Man Savage and the Iron Sheik. That, that, that that's my day when I was twelve and I watched it. And I actually thought it was real when I was a kid. And then I then I yeah. then I hit puberty and I was like, oh, this this is kind of stupid. Why am I doing this? Okay. Yeah, so cool. He's a cool guy. Oh, Mr. Cool. Just put your sunglasses on. Just tell me how cool you are. But yeah, yeah. Like, let me just say this too. Like, let's let's close on this one because yeah, like Simon got you. Um, I think we know being the creative trash talker is the best. Having the off the cuff thing, having the guy who was quick. Was there anyone that like you didn't like? You knew ah, oh, this guy's just sharp. So like Simon got you the best, but who had the reputation of being the guy of just. Man, you you you're not going to beat him if you get into the war words. I, I I don't I don't think there was anyone that I that I backed down because I was always confident in my ability to chirp. So I always welcomed it, and I didn't really put that much thought into who could who could get me back because I was always, you know, again, you know, what was really good was Ray Ray Ferraro at the time, just because mm. he liked to chirp and he was a really good hockey player. So when That's you're smart. good and you get chirped and you're and you're not as good and and he's yeah he's a smart guy like he's a He's a smart guy. When you're a good hockey player, normally the chirpers are guys that are third, fourth line guys. So you already have that, you know, hey, I don't even know who you are. You know, you're yeah. chirping me. I'm a first line or whatever it may be. Like, you suck, man. But I, he got me good one time, and I, I got him good. Uh, but but he, he came back pretty hard. Uh, but he was funny. Like, he, he, he made me laugh. I'd come back, and I, I'd laugh. But I... I remember calling him, and I'm like, you little bit, I don't even know how they let you in the league. Like, you're five foot three. And I had just had my teeth knocked out, so I had, like, new teeth in. And the dentist, they were, they were a little big, and he goes, hey, go like a salt block, you friggin' horse. <laughs> and I came back, and I'm like, that's pretty damn good. These friggin' things, my damn dentist, these are too big. They're way too big. So I literally got back to Buffalo on the Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was. I go, you got to make these smaller. <laughs> guys are calling me friggin' horse, like, go lick a salt block. He says, yeah, they're a little big. So no one really, you know, I was never afraid to, to get in a war of words with someone or, or, or trash talk someone. Uh, but there were certainly guys that I didn't try. You know, I didn't trash talk. Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux or Joe Sackick or Steve Eiserman, like the classy guys. Now, Eric Lindros, he was the easiest. He, he was the most fun because he just had so much ammunition with his parents and everything. Um, he was the easiest to get off, off his rocker, and he would go absolutely nuts and didn't care if he took a five and cost his team the game at the time. He was getting his pound of flesh for sure. Yeah, as someone who has like, stood next to Eric Lindros many times now, um, you're brave. You're a brave guy. Like, yeah, it's like he's a mountain of a man. His hands are just like he puts those on you, and yeah, it's not gonna feel very good. Uh, Barney, always fun. Everybody, go check out Barney's books for more stories. Uh, Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. You can get it wherever books are sold, and the podcast is great too. Thanks for coming on today, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, uh, Austin. I know you're listening back there. Love you, buddy. For Keep now. making me feel good, and uh, 
enjoy that wrestling, uh, you guys. I'm sure there's a big royal our whole show. Or... Our whole show. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. Our whole show. Everybody awesome. loves the rumble. Great. Yeah. Hey, yeah. T- take pics. See ya. Yeah, we will. We will take picks. See you, Barney. Uh, Matthew Barnaby, 15 years in the NHL. And again, the book is unfiltered. Um, you want – I don't know how you ever show off that part of the game. I think that's just supposed to be a part of it. And then every once in a while you get a glimpse. And that's what you hope for. You get a little flash. You get a little glimpse. You get a hot mic. And the league knows, yeah, this is within the confines of something we want. Let's let it out. Like I said, Sean Thornton's were always really great. And I think the vast majority of the guys now, it it isn't really anything that's going to get you in trouble. So I don't know how you embrace it, but I think if you do have a personality and you bring it off the ice where it's like a little bit more controlled, because like heat of the moment, you are probably, yeah, more inclined to say something dumb or just, you know, use language that's a little too colorful and people don't want to really hear that or it can't really be put out into traditional spaces anyway. It ends up on like maybe YouTube with bleeps or whatever. It was good when it was HBO 24-7. I'll never forget watching Sidney Crosby just give it to officials and swearing up and down, going to the penalty box and saying like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, but that was also in like the early iterations of, yeah, that much coverage on the ice. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure teams would ever allow that now the way that they did with those first couple 24-7 series, the the Winter Classic. I think that one might have even been the first. But if you actually have it, if you've got a little bit of that juice and you've got a little bit of that hilarity, you should step up in a market like Toronto and take a shot. Not everybody's Brad Marchand. Like, you can't... You can't try to wait until you have that resume. And I do think that is actually a problem with... uh, I think it's kind of sports in general-ish. Is guys are a little bit more afraid to put themselves out there if they're lower down a roster. They're always afraid of like that pecking order, and that's always a chirp, right? Like, who are you in hockey? You know, Matthew's looking at the back of the guy's sweater, which is still an all-time Matthews moment. Can't remember who that was. I think he ended up on the Leafs, though. Um, but yeah, I wish that more media conferences were like that one from Marshan. Because ultimately, here's the thing, like, even if the Bruins lose, no one's gonna like what what what's he afraid of? Like what's gonna happen? That's what I keep thinking with all these things, is like even I have to listen, the comments suck, okay? Like we all anybody that gets the comments, they sting. They do. There's just days where like they get you. You read one, you can't help yourself, you go through it, like you have to mute a conversation, whatever, you end up muting somebody and you're like, why did I read that? So I guess like that's the fear. Um for some guys, they just really don't want that. I don't know if there's actual repercussions within the league or whatever the hell. But I get I get the comments thing. I think that we all get affected by our social media when someone's mean to us on there a certain day. Like you, uh, especially if somebody just snaps one on you and you just, you get, you get got. But then eventually, I don't know what, I think that most of these guys probably learn even to reference the John Moran thing again, is that the news cycle just keeps churning so quickly that everything just gets cannibalized. And there really isn't, a lot of room for sustained anger from people and then it kind of gets to a point where the people doing that you're sort of like all right man move on like what are you doing here like why are you still mad about this you're still going after someone about this like 
John Morant, like I said, 7-8 and eight against Western teams. There's a clip of him going around right now saying he's not worried about the West. If he gets eliminated from the playoffs to a Western team, they're going to play that clip. And then guess what? He goes into his next season. He's John Morant. Who cares? Like, who cares? It's fun. And when it stays fun, it's great. Some people will always get mad. Some people always take it too far. But to me, it's just like, yeah, I I could not be more entertained than when guys step up and add that level of intrigue to a game. And Marshan did that yesterday with, he made those comments, and immediately I went, I wonder how Mitch and Bunting are going to respond to this. It added something to the game. It added something to every one of Marshan's shifts. I, I really do believe that it added to the way, and it's hard to say this because Bunting really does play hard every single night, but I do think that it added a little bit of energy to Michael Bunting. Like, he wanted to make a bit of a statement. So, anyway, I, I really do believe it's good for the game. And that is one thing where uh, we keep saying it's not going to get better, it's not going to get better. Um, I am fearful of it, but at some point, there's got to be a couple of players who do recognize that there's going to be a value in being themselves and standing out. Whether it's through just like media or podcasting, which I guess is kind of a similar thing, but through social media, through whatever, just standing out. You don't want to be the like Dylan Dennis, right? For those of you that don't know, he's like a fake fighter who has made a complete career on running his mouth and being kind of a phony. But there's, there's definitely a line where if you can hit it, there is just an incredible amount of opportunity for whatever hockey players are able to like actually connect with being able to talk a little trash and I don't even think back it up. Back it up, I guess, in the sense of like, you know how you back it up is you just go out and play fearlessly. That's it. That's backing it up. You don't have to win a Stanley Cup. Just have to go out there and be unafraid. Anyway, I hope we end up getting more. Um, we are getting more of John Herdman sticking with the national program. And this was after like this really weird cycle where got bombarded with fake reports about him leaving and it was by I think verified accounts although whatever the hell that's worth this day but yeah John Herdman's staying so he says until the next World Cup he's staying through Canada he believes in the team Um, what does it mean though now for this program how much stability is this going to bring um, how real were the reports that he was leaving? Uh, nobody better to talk about this with than James Sharman, head of soccer content, um, senior producer for the Room 442. Sharm's just the legend, the soccer Canadian soccer legend. He's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So John Herdman apparently staying. This in a statement through Canada Soccer yesterday. Quote, Success at this level will always invite opportunity. I've received several offers in recent months, all of which I have turned down, including an offer from New Zealand football. To our Canadian players and our fans, I want to reiterate my commitment to Canada soccer and the growing of this program. At the World Cup in Qatar, our men showed the world, the world, that they belong at this level. I'm not going anywhere we still have a job to do and the objective is to take this team to the next level in 2026 end quote 
I'm not going anywhere. Foro's the Wolf of Wall Street line. James Sharman, head of soccer content, senior producer for the room 442 or 442, which is excellent. Footy Prime, as always. Go check out the pies. Sharmansproper.ca. Good food. Good desserts. Got it. It's wintertime. Better, no better time to be eating that stuff than right now. James, what's up, brother? How we doing? Hey, Jay, the good mate. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm better now that John Herdman's staying and that there's like some clarity here. Um, <laughs> because it, it's gotten lost a little bit in the news cycle, right? Is oh right, this coach might have left. And this was after we got a tweet from New Zealand that like this guy was going back, that he was heading to New Zealand. He was. Do we call New Zealand down under? Like, do we do that? Is that uh, right? Yeah, be a bit of a gray area there. You might upset some Kiwis. I think, yeah, it's a kind bit. of a. <laughs> it kind of should be. They should also be down under. Like that's that's. They are essentially, but yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I'm saying. Who are you guys fooling? You think Australia just like they only get down under? That's not right. New Zealand. They they, they, they call they they call Australia the West Island. That's what they call it down there. So uh, (laughs) they have a pretty good rivalry. So let's let's (laughs) not poke the bear here. I actually love that though. I love the West Island. I stand with New Zealand on this one. Okay, so. like the timing of this what what is there anything to make of it because like yeah he did point out the several offers thing we do get the new zealand report and then within 24 hours he's he's back in yeah the red white and black yeah i mean listen i think it it surprised all of us um when, when that story broke yesterday morning um not not perhaps so much that he could leave but that it was new zealand that was apparently the mm-hmm. the, the main suitor for his services um, you know, I think what happened in the end was clearly, as as John Herbert admitted in his statement, he had been approached by other other, be it clubs or nations, over the last little while, including New Zealand. He, he turned them all down. So I, I think something was obviously leaked to, to the New Zealand media. These conversations had happened earlier in January. Um, they went with it. Um, perhaps some of their sources weren't quite as solid as they first thought. Um, but there was clearly something there. He clearly had conversations, which you know should you know perhaps concern um, the Canadian soccer world uh, in, in that he is open to conversation. But that's just nature of the beast, right? In, in professional sports, if you have any degree of success, you're going to be courted by 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 certain clubs. Now, how far those conversations went, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine he was ever close to signing or leaving his breaking his contract with Canada Soccer. Um, which he signed just after qualification, by the way, before the World Cup uh, through 2026. I can't imagine he'd leave it for New Zealand. That was what surprised me. Well, okay, but like, I'm just trying to parse through this statement and be like, okay, what actually matters here, right? Like, what are we actually... The fact that he mentions New Zealand is kind of interesting. Like, do you think they just threw that in because of that report? Or that, yeah, it feels like maybe that went a little bit further down the track than every other offer? Yeah, I, well, I think perhaps he's trying to own the message, right? Uh, at that point, saying this is out there, let's not hide from it. Let's kind of, you know, confront it, face on, pay reference to that that team. Um, but you know, listen, he's, he's got history there, right? He has coached there before for five years on the women's program between '06 and '11. There is a connection there. He loves the country. His sons played for the New Zealand under twenty team, so there's obviously a connection there. Um, but I suppose, I mean, listen, if Canada soccer was caught off guard by this, I mean, they wouldn't be happy. Regardless of what happened, they wouldn't be happy, right? He's under contract. Um, their guy's been talking to another nation. So I guess he, almost with his tail between his legs, maybe, yeah, yeah, okay, this did happen. Um, however, 
you know, I did say no. But yeah, very strange situation for sure, confounding, right? But, you know, like I said, you know, coaches, players have success. I think they're, it's dead. They can do their due diligence. They can, you know, talk to other nations or clubs, no matter if they're under contract or not. That doesn't actually upset me, even though it might contravene uh, some, some rules and guidelines. Uh, but let's not be naive. It does happen, right? Okay, so this is where, like, yeah, of course this is what's going to happen, and this is what we were told all along could happen. And at this point, like, most people thought, or at least I shouldn't say at this point, but a couple of months ago, we all sort of were working under the impression that Herdman was going to leave, that there was probably going to be a club that ended up poaching him, that wanted to bring him in, and that, yeah, ultimately he was going to chase that opportunity, especially given, you know, the foundation here at Canada Soccer and what else he had to gain, blah, 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 go on down the line. So this announcement happens, and if you remember, like, of course you remember, but during the World Cup, there was that little news cycle of John Herdman said he's staying. Remember that? And then it was Mm -hmm. like, that's not really what he said. (laughs) This kind of now feels like that. Like, this kind of now feels like that, where the New Zealand report comes out. He says, New Zealand approached me, essentially, but I'm not going anywhere. And I've been uh, approached by a bunch of different places. But it's not like he signed a new contract, right? Like, that's what we're used to in traditional North American sports is someone's like, I'm not staying. Oh, he's agreed to a new contract. It's like, nope, he's just working under the old contract. This is all the exact same. Does this change? Like, does this statement change anything other than the fact that he's not going to New Zealand, James? Well, listen, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I don't know this. Um, this is pure speculation, yeah. but I wouldn't put it past John Urban or any other coach in that position to use this as leverage for a better deal, um, for more power, perhaps. Uh, like I said, he signed that deal after qualifying before the World Cup. His stock was maybe even higher then than after the World Cup because Canada, although they had you know, moments of success, it wasn't the greatest World Cup. And I think he could admit he didn't have the greatest World Cup as, as a coach. It was a learning experience for him as, as well. So, you know, I, I, I do wonder if, you know, there was some knocks on his door, his phone rang, and he went back to Canada. So I said, listen, I have got opportunities here. Um, are you going to give me a better deal, more power? Possibly that that's, could be what, what happened here. Um, it certainly puts Canada soccer on their toes, though. Uh, and I think any, any decent organization, be it club level or international sports, have a, uh, a plan in place if their person in charge does leave. They have names. Because, you know, although he's signed through 2026, there's a lot of football between now and then. You have the Gold Cup this summer. That's a huge tournament for Canada, the men's team. You have, in 2024, Copa America, where likely six CONCACAF teams will play in, and Canada should be one of those teams. Um, This whole North American world of soccer is opening up before the World Cup. So if he has success at, say, the Gold Cup or even a Copa America, and Canada looks good, once again, his stock's high. I wouldn't put it past uh, a coach leaving before a World Cup. Now, I understand a home World Cup has a lot of allure to it, and, and that's fantastic. He's in a really good spot. But, you know, I, I'm still not completely 100% sure that John Herman is going to be you know, coaching this team in 2026. No, dude, this is why I want to talk to you today. Because, again, like, I am Canada's number one soccer fan. That's been, like, now very well established. Yeah, like, that's so just, obvious. That's just, that's, that's, Exactly. Thank you. I, I'm still waiting for my appearances on your shows, but I guess mm-hmm. you guys are afraid well, of my appearance fee, whatever it is. Like, I, we you know need I would to get bigger down the first. for you. Yeah, we need yeah, to get bigger enough <laughs> to handle you. So. I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, you guys being thoughtful when booking me, right? Like, I, I really <laughs> do. I just want you to know that. That's That really means a lot to me. But 
Okay, this is this is what uh, I think learning steps for a new soccer country is that, yeah, something like this just kind of didn't really mean too much at all. Or does it, you know, try to kind of figure that out? Because, again, my initial reaction was, okay, nice. This is big. Huge. Huge, huge, huge. He's staying. They, they got the program set. And then I'm going, okay, most of this conversation with James is like, what now? And what does this mean? And then, yeah, all it did was dawn on me that the further I thought about it was, no, this is just kind of what you said. Hey, you didn't say that he's using it as leverage. My interpretation of this is now is like he turned down a job that he turned down one opportunity and then the ones that are out there and that yeah at any given time because of the nature of the sport that he could be gone like him saying that in this statement means kind of nothing to me is now what i'm yeah. trying to say here it's like well, well, okay, no, maybe not right. nothing but it's small I, I think what it what it means is is that if nothing else if nothing else canada soccer now have to you know have to be like i said be on their toes thinking man you know this guy we, we better give him what he wants we better, you know, make this a pretty smooth three and a half years before the World Cup. We better get our house in order here because he is still a hot commodity on, on the soccer market and he could walk and he's open to talking to our other, you know, clubs, nations. You know, he as loyal as he is, and I do believe he's loyal, he's also a professional and he's strategic and he's smart and he's going to have those conversations if they come up. And if there was any doubt about that beforehand, Canada Soccer now know, okay, we better do what's right here and, and try and run our house orderly, professionally, and try and give him what he wants, which they have done. So far, they have done that in fairness, right? I mean, he has a good budget. He gets paid well. He has a lot of power, right? They understand what they have in John Herman. Um, but, you know, there, there's no doubt now that as loyal as he is, he's not, you know, above having a little chat with, with potential suitors. Well, not only that, I, I think anybody with uh, that's paying even like a passing interest, we could you could be upset if he did end up leaving. But that for someone who has as much ambition as John Herdman, it's hard to believe that you know the his ultimate life goal was just to coach the Canadian men's soccer team. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. I, I think his plan is to, you know the, I mean I think his plan is to coach through twenty twenty six and then leave the, the the program in a really good place where they're going to qualify for World Cups moving forward. Um, but, you know, that, like I said, there's a ton of really big, important games between now and the World Cup, you know, and Canada's got a good team. They should be competing now for trophies, certainly in CONCACAF, certainly at the Gold Cup. When, when that kicks off on, I think, June 24th, Canada's going to be one of the favorites, right? Three favorites to win that thing. Copa America, okay, different beast entirely. You're playing against Brazil. You're playing against Argentina, you know, Uruguay. Pretty good teams, all right? So, so that's a little bit different. But, you know, show yourself well there and his stock will very much rise. Um, but I, you know, like I said before, I, I think the biggest flag for me when that story broke was why, why New Zealand, with respect to New Zealand, to qualify for the, the intercontinental playoff uh, against Costa Rica for qualification for the World Cup, they had to beat the Solomon Islands. All right. Now, with respect to the Solomon Islands and Tahiti and Fiji and Samoa, not exactly footballing hotbeds, right? Whereas, you know, you're a, a team over here in Canada where you're playing Mexico in the States on a regular basis. You're playing now Brazil and Argentina at Copa Americas. Why would you entertain a move to New Zealand beyond, you know, the personal reasons? He has got a connection there, obviously. So that's the, the flags that raised for me when I first heard that story. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just almost it's, it's the growing up process, right, Jetty, of, of Canadian soccer. We, we now know that, you know, someone's not going to just stay here because we're a nice country, right? He wants to be rewarded properly and so he should be 
Yeah, okay, and that makes sense. And although there's kind of two ways to interpret that, right? It's like, okay, if you're pushing out there that New Zealand was the job that you were closest to, like, a part of me goes, if I'm Canada soccer, I'm kind of calling that bluff a little bit. I'm like, that's the best you got? Like, you went out there and, and that's the best one you got? Maybe that's actually leverage for Canada. Or conversely, the only other way to kind of flip it is that if you're Herdman, you're like, I would leave you for anything. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I would leave you for New Zealand soccer if it meant I got more power and money or I thought that this meant like one little iota of more opportunity for me. Because, yeah, I thought the same thing. I went like, oh, New Zealand's good at soccer. I was not aware. They're pretty small, right? Like, and it's, no, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. well, I mean, but who, who are the other clubs he, he insinuates he spoke to? Who are they? What, what right. kind of size are they? That's interesting, right? Those stories haven't been leaked yet. Haven't been broken just yet. Um, you know, New Zealand did. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, New Zealand, they, they broke that story yesterday in the media over there, and they were pretty adamant. Yeah. You know, this is close to being done. They've agreed terms. So something, someone got this very wrong, <laughs> which happened. Someone really jumped the gun here. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. And I'm seeing now, reading these uh, Kiwi media now, and they're all backtracking. And, um, but there's still, the, the, the New Zealand Federation still say they're in good dialogue with their preferred candidate. Who apparently uh, isn't John Herbin, but hey, who knows? Yeah, but that's always the way that it is, where it's like you miss out on the guy, and then you're like, no, but we always wanted this guy, actually. This was yeah, the number exactly. one choice. It's like, that's the always plan the B. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you were always plan A, baby. Like, that was always <laughs> what I wanted it to be. No, clearly, yeah, they wanted, they took a shot at him, and now they missed, and he's moving on to the other things. I am curious, though, it's like, man, there was a lot of buzz about, you know, an English club team trying to get in on him when and and I'm not saying like one specifically that was just kind of more of an idea but that why do you think that hasn't become a little bit more prevalent like what what is the Mm -hmm. deal there yeah it's interesting because as you know the British media usually have these stories right and I'm sure he's been spoken to by by clubs over there it wouldn't be a Premier League club I mean let's let's just forget about that right now maybe one day but not right now I I think that perhaps um, his stock dropped a little bit after the World Cup Canada had an okay World Cup, but let's not kid ourselves, right? They didn't win the game, right? They, they crashed out. They were smashed by Croatia. Um, so as much as entering the tournament, he was a real hot property and, you know, has the charisma, had a wonderful story through through qualifying, did everything right, everything he touched, you know, was, was gold dust. Um, and then the World Cup happened, right? And Canada was found out a little bit. Good team, but but still a long way from being, you know, really competitive on, on, the, on the top stage at the World Cup. So maybe his, his, his stock dropped a little bit, and maybe that's why. Uh, it'd be hard for a club in England to say, hey, we've got a new manager. Yeah, he went 0-3 at the World Cup, right? Yeah. Uh, had he got a win in the World Cup, then perhaps, perhaps. But uh, so maybe that's why. But I, I dare say, you know, like I said, I think he will have some more successes in the coming couple of years. And I think you're going to see a stock rise once again, and there'll be more room. This will be having this conversation once again about a club team. I'm sure that's going to happen. Um, whether it's enough to, to leverage him away from Canada, you know, before a World Cup, I, I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah, well, that's 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 going to be interesting about like yeah, um, them playing in these next few tournaments. Is if Canada continues to kind of build momentum, maybe the the stock does continue. Right? Because yeah, um, you like you're right. They didn't have the spectacular showing, and then I, I've also always wondered like how much his comments, him with the like we're gonna go in there and you know beat their ass or whatever he said. I was like yeah, uh, it was about that, like, that. a little naivety right in his part, and he admitted that right. I mean, as right. much as listen, John Herbman, he's a good coach. He's proven that right, but he said he's learned a lot from the World Cup too. 
he's still yes. still relatively young, right? In, in his in his coaching journey, he's, he's experienced because he started off so young when he, when he began coaching. But uh-huh. there's a lot for him to learn as well, you know, in, in professional soccer. And I, I get this this is funny almost narrative in, in Canadian soccer that we have John Herbman. He's the greatest possible option for us in world football. Listen, he's been brilliant, right? He's built this program and the women's program, and he's the right man for the job. But there are other good people out there, right? Yeah. There are other good football people out there who, who might do a good job as well. So I think we, we, we like nice, shiny things in, in Canadian soccer because we've had so few of them over the course of ever. So we had this nice, shiny manager, coach, and, and we really jumped on that. So I think that shows a little bit of naivety of, of where we're at as a football culture as well. Dude, I'm so glad that you said that because this is just you're you're right. This is the way this has been painted. Like if they lose John Herbman, they'll never recover and the program will fall apart. And yeah, okay, maybe it does take a step backwards. Maybe he still is the guy for the job, but yeah, like usually with coaches, they have shelf lives, like all of them, mm-hmm. right? And yep. yeah, you can have a right program builder and then a different someone who takes the program over the top. And so, yeah, I I do think that this at least um, there's, there's probably is a point of diminishing returns, and I do wonder at what point Canada Soccer kind of even says too, like, yeah, we're not just ceding all the power in the world over to you, John Herdman. Um, thank you, but yes, the world is full of soccer coaches. And I would just say this to Canadian soccer fans, like based off the conversation we've had today, is like, okay, so if he's not, and they're different international, all these different things, I get it. But if he's not good enough to coach, you know, Burnley, then why is he so, like, undoubtedly the best guy for Canada Soccer? That's all. Hey, listen, you know? hey, listen, JD. Burnley's a good team, and they're going to probably get promotion to the Premier League once again. Just so you know. I, but, uh, yay! I, I, get, I, get I, your point. <laughs> I didn't just draw him out of a hat. All right, actually, I, <laughs> <laughs> I totally did. Uh, James Sharman, thanks so much for making time today, man. Always a pleasure getting a chat. Hey. Uh, there goes James. I think they potted him down before he could say bye, or he just hung up and he was like, "I hate that guy." But no, that that's it. Anyways, we got to run. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Do all those things. Share it if you see it. As always, it really helps me out. Tomorrow, Sir Zoe wrote a great piece on Scotty Barnes, but also just, yes, the Raptors, the OG sweepstakes. They're heating up. I'll chat about them with her. That's tomorrow. See you then.